Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the weekend show. We've got, finally, I'm sticking to the schedule. I've got some in the bank, so this weekend we are going to be sitting down with a very, very cool guest. Uh, But before I start that, I'm coming to you from Mighty Sparrow. I am covered in fiberglass i have a bit of a rash from it coming up uh it's been days and days of grinding 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 but the grinding is done i don't want to spoil it because i will have an update next week on how the work is going but let's just say the cockpit is teak free and now has actually a coat of paint so i think the grinder can go back in the cupboard for a little while thank goodness because I'm basically a big itchy scratch pad. I know what it's like. I'm a human Brillo pad at this point, and uh, I'm ready to. I, I need to moisturize. Let's just say that. But uh, yeah, uh, before I start the show, I, and I'm going to try and do this really, really fast. I think I may end up moving these these sort of little ads, I guess, uh, towards the end of the show or something like that. I'm not I'm not 100 sure yet, but I'm going to try and do this as streamlined as quickly as possible. But I will just stick to my script. So before I start the show, like I always say, if you want to help support the podcast, like so many of you do, really, really appreciate all the family that keeps going on the Patreon and keeps supporting and all the new people and all the people who have stuck with me for so long. Thank you all so much. If you want to join that, if you enjoy the content, follow the link to Patreon and uh, show your support via a few dollars donated here and there each month. That would be really, really super awesome. Uh, there is the merch line. Follow the link in the description for that. And if you just want to reach out to the show, you got a topic, you got a question, you got a gig that you want me to come and do, boom, I'm right there. You'll email through the podcast button at contact the show and done. It's right there. So uh, other than that, here we go with uh, the show. I, I, I'm oh, This is just this is so cool because this was a really... A uh, great conversation that I've actually wanted to have for quite some time. So under the spirit of a little anonymity, we're uh, John, a.k.a. just John. We're not going to go into last names or anything like that. But he and I first crossed paths down at Bitter End in the British Virgin Islands. Uh, he and his family would sail in. They would come, sometimes come and stay at the resort. Uh, we got to know each other there. Sort of, I don't know, kindred spirits, I suppose, in some ways. Um, and essentially, you know, he followed along with a lot of the voyages. Was definitely interested in that because he's a big sailor. Uh, he does a lot of racing, all that sort of stuff. And uh, moreover, though, post-sailing, he has been a huge, huge supporter and very, very kind of. I, I would, I would put him in the, uh, I would put him in the category of like a mentor for me. As far as, you know, he's, he's pulled me into some corporate stuff. He's pulled me into, set me up with, I should say, a lot of speaking engagements. Um, gotten me in front of quite a lot of influential people. I mean, he's he's very successful himself. Um, you know, he's, he's somebody that, yeah, when you sit down and you talk to him, you want to listen because uh, he, he knows what he's talking about. And it, it seems like every time we sit down and chat... 
you know, not only do we get to know each other a little bit more, uh, but essentially we just get into those topics that I think people who strive to live a pretty extraordinary life kind of find themselves always thinking about and uh, always trying to figure out how, what the best way to go about every day is and find that purpose and all that sort of stuff. So we talk about a lot of that stuff. Uh, we talk sailing, we talk history, we talk, uh, you know, how getting past adversity challenges, all that sort of stuff. And it's always, always really informative. And I, anytime I'm ever able to spend a little bit of time with John, it's always it's always well worth it. And I come away with, I always call it food for thought, but essentially there's just a lot of stuff to think about, um, which I think is a, a pretty cool thing. So hopefully you guys enjoy the conversation that I have. Um, and yeah, just another, just one more big thanks because not only was up in Jersey because of him, uh, he and his wife, uh, but essentially, you know, they let me stay at their place. Uh, it really, above and beyond in all aspects. I couldn't ask for a better friend and, uh, and you know, like I said, uh, a mentor that's, you know, helping to keep me pushing along through sort of these early stages. I think one of the things that we did talk about, I don't know if it got on the show or not, but you know, when you're, when you're grinding it out and you're trying to, to build something, the early stages seem so hopeless and they seem like oh man i'm making any sort of headway i'm making any dent you know this isn't really working i've been doing it for years and in you know in recent times i've been thinking that a lot and you know you gotta just kind of push those things out because you know when you think about it and i think he and i had, had referenced the fact that a lot of times you, you're in this situation, but when you do finally succeed and you finally reach those goals and your hard work starts to pay off, you look back on these times and you're like, oh, wasn't it the best? You know, when you're you're hopping from crummy hotel to crummy hotel and you're, you know, fiberglassing by day, podcasting by night, that sort of thing. I don't know. It's uh, that's what I'm doing. And hopefully it does pay off, um, but it, it definitely gives you gives me food for thought of uh, how, you know, why I'm doing these things and why I keep pushing um, and all that sort of stuff. So without further ado, my conversation with John. Thanks for listening. All right, John, we are recording. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> Happy to be here. Yeah, well, I am too. I mean, I guess first and foremost, I just want to say thanks for the support yeah. Uh, while I'm on this little speaking tour and it's, it's invaluable to have, you know, people that are sort of on your side Yeah, and, uh, it's been very welcome and, and opening your home is huge. Yeah. That, um, we always love supporting the entrepreneurial spirit. We're entrepreneurs ourselves. Um, we know what it's like to be alone out there building something. Um, yeah. so we always love to, to support that. Well, and in the early stages, you always have to grind and it's, uh, it's, it's difficult, but it's, I don't know. I, I'd like to hope that five years from now, I'll look back on these times and be like, oh, that was the best when I was going from couch to couch and yeah. hotel to motel, you know, when I'm hopefully a success. Yeah. Well, we know you will be, and I think you will miss those days. Absolutely. Uh, so. You don't, uh, those are the time, but the times when you struggle in our opinion is, or my opinion, I should say, um, when you're struggling, that's your growth period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in life. So, Yeah. <laughs> 
So try and enjoy it. You yeah, know? like exactly. I say in my talks, like, you know, you got to take that one moment where it's not horrible and everything's not going wrong and actually, you know, focus and, and take that moment, you know, if you will. So and be present, be present in it. Yeah, exactly. And that's a skill. That's all. That's also awesome. it, it takes yeah. practice to it do does. that. Yeah, because it, it is. I find that it's it's very easy to just like you get down on yourself and the situation, and you just want the whole thing to end. Like you want to sail back to land, so to speak. And you know, you might be two weeks out or ten days out, and you're never. You know, you, you're gonna miss that whole ten days if you're just upset. Like, oh man, this whole like with this last voyage. From the moment all the stuff got broken and everything, it could have just been a, a miserable lump on that boat. But you know, you made a comment last in last night's uh, session that sometimes when when things happen, uh, you you watched or heard of others that are um, actually crawled up in a ball and held on to the mass at the bottom of the boat. Yeah, you, you use that analogy, and I thought about that, and it was a mindset I think that you had to enjoy those little moments that you found. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, yeah, you were in a, a bad situation, but you mentally prepared yourself to keep busy, clean up down below instead of doing that. Then you were always keeping your mind busy, which I think was key. And I think it was a great takeaway for the audience. Um, we, we go, we leave and we think about our regular day. Uh, we're not out on the ocean like you are, but if we get overwhelmed and we're not sure exactly what to do, you start small and you get focused and it helps your mind. Yeah, well, I'm getting sort of proactive, and and even if it's just the littlest things. I mean, you always hear those those kind of gurus say, well, when you start your day, brush your teeth. Take that step one, and that'll lead to step two and all that sort of stuff. And yeah. I mean, you know, that's kind of hokey, I guess, but it, it still makes sense. You know, you just... You don't just crumple into a ball. You actually start moving and shaking. Well, it's it's funny. We have a um, my wife and I have a, a saying, and it came from a, uh, a commencement speaker, uh, this one general, and he said, "Always make your bed in the morning because you don't know what your day is going to be." So you start with a small task. Yeah. You attack it. You just do that thing, and if you had a bad day at the end of the day, you have a nice bed to jump into. So that always resonated with me, and my wife and I joke about it, but we've done it for years because we don't, you know, our journey, we don't know what we're doing sometimes in the day, and and then things just maybe blow up, but we start with that small task. It's kind of funny. Yeah, well, and you know, it does. I, I truly believe in that sort of snowball effect. Like, you get one thing done, and all of a sudden, there is, like, this tiny little hit of dopamine, I suppose, when you look at that bed, and it's all nice and neat, and you're like, oh, I did that. Yeah. I guess, what what, what can I do now? Rather than just, like, sit on a couch and do nothing. Right. So, yeah. Right. But... Enough of that sort of stuff. I did want to ask you, because I keep seeing these pictures around here, uh, mostly the one with the spinnaker, Flying Scots. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, we So uh, just a little background on some of the first sailing that I did up in Michigan. Uh, when I learned and then became an instructor, we had inner lakes and we had like six Flying Scots. And we used to sail those things all over the place. And you sail them down here. We do. We have a, a big fleet. Um, we have about 50 boats out on the bay oh wow um, okay yeah that's a good size fleet yeah so we have uh and for those that uh, flying scott you could sail it with two or three crew right? mm-hmm. depending on the size and, and what you're trying to do but yeah we have a nice fleet in barnegat bay um very competitive very really some some really good sailors really good racers um so we uh 
sailing Scots. I've been sailing Scots, I would say, for about eight years, nine years. Uh, but some of the guys that are racing have yeah. been sailing them for 30. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. old masters. Uh, and I have to say, Jerome, I'm 50s in my uh, you know early 50s. And some of these guys that are in their late 70s are still ruling the bay. And <laughs> they love it, yeah. when the, some of the kids try to come out and win. Right, right, right. Beat them. Well, there. I mean, I, I've always thought that's kind of a cool part or a cool aspect of sailing is that the wisdom of it is, you know, it's timeless. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you've got that knowledge to be able to, you know, get that little extra speed or know what to do in certain situations, then that's, you know, it's priceless to have that. And it doesn't matter if you're 85 years old or if you're 16. I mean, obviously, there's some boats that are like a young man sport. Like I would say uh, a laser yeah. in a competitive fleet is definitely a young man sport. And then maybe a Hobie 16. I mean, I, I pulled mine down off the rafters this summer and, you know, I got the Hobie emblem on my belt buckle. It was the boat that I learned how to sail on. Uh, but I definitely can't sail it like I used to. Yeah. They're just, I, there's just too much movement and too much kind of when it, when it gets really windy. Yeah. When it's nice out, though, I suppose it, it still comes right back to the knowledge of how, how you make that boat as fast as humanly possible. I think, um, you know, the elders, if you will, uh, they do have the knowledge, but they also have the um, the wisdom to be able to say, you know what, I'm not going to hike the way I used to, so I'm going to find a different way different, to do yeah, this. Yeah. yeah, sort of changing that approach. Right, so distributing weight differently, right, uh, because they, they're not able to hike out like a 20-year-old can, yeah. right? So I see them doing that, and they, they're still beating us, which is, I think, awesome. <laughs> We're always chasing that. Right? No, right, right. No, it's, yeah. it's very cool. Well, and I, I noticed up in there, there's a few trophies, so you guys definitely... Uh, yeah, we we did well. I um, it was my son and I uh, racing, and what was what's been interesting watching him over the years. He's definitely a better racer than me now. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, really? So you've had to concede to him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. geez. How's that feel? It feels in sweet you know, and sour. Yeah, sweet and sour. It's <laughs> like my ego doesn't like it, of course, but then you take a step back and when you give all your knowledge that you have and, and then they're craving more and you're getting it from other areas it's just, that's what you want for yeah, at yeah. least from a father's perspective. But as a racer, my ego gets hit a little bit on that. Right. Yeah. Right. I, well, and I, cause I can remember thinking about that a little bit when I did the trip around the world. Cause my old man, shout out to Jim Bob. Right. Uh, he, you know, he, he'd done a huge amount of sailing. He started sailing when he was a little kid, they'd go, up from Gloucester to Maine and all that sort of stuff on old schooners and everything. And then he sailed in his like college years after college. He did some big trips. I think he did one from like Sydney, Australia to New Caledonia where they saw some pretty ugly weather and stuff like that. So he was always kind of the master, the admiral, you know, in my eyes. Yeah. And then, you know, you go out and you do a trip around the world and you look him in the eyes and it's always, it's just, there's a little different glare in there, I guess. And I always wondered, I, I never like sat down and talked to him yeah. about it, you know? You never asked him about like no, how he... not really. I mean, I, I, I think it's always one of those things like you're always trying to sort of impress your father, uh, you know? And I think a lot of the reason I got into sailing in the first place was because it was a passion for him. Right. He didn't do it like professionally, but he did it, you know... At a, at a level where it was like his favorite thing to do, right. for sure. And, you know, you see that and you're sort of like, oh, well, 
geez, I guess if I get really good at that, he'll be like, oh, that's cool. Look, look at my son doing that. And I, I know that he's definitely proud of some of the sailing accomplishments and stuff like that. But yeah, sometimes I do wonder. Like if it's kind of like, hmm, yeah, that's a little upstart. Thanks, he can. Well, <laughs> you know, within that same theme, I think, um, look, sailing is not something that you just pick up like a football, right? It, it does take time yeah. or like soccer ball, right? It's like, it's not a sport that is, um, that you just fall into. So having your, following your father's footsteps and taking those journeys and then you develop in skill, I, I, I would think he would be extremely proud Oh, I'm sure. And he is. I'm I think sure part he is. of his ego would be like, "Wow, he won up to me too. He got a little <laughs> bit more than I ever did, which right. is good. I think that's healthy." Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Yeah, it's, but I, I tell you, I I feel fortunate that it it became such a passion in my life as well as sort of the career because I could I could imagine a scenario where you do try to do something like that. You sort of try and following your father's footsteps in a way, and then. It ends up being something you don't like doing, but you keep doing it begrudgingly because you're sort of like, well, I want to. You're stuck in that. You're stuck. Yeah. Like you don't want to admit that you're like, oh, every day is miserable. I don't want to do this anymore. So it can be a trap. So I I don't I don't know if I recommend it for anybody. Yeah, I got you there. Mm -hmm. But uh, just a little background on, on you and I. We met. And, and this is something I've always said. Sailing is not only a sport and it's fun and all that stuff and it can lead you all over the world, but it's a conduit for building relationships because people meet in the sailing yeah. community like crazy. And you and I met first down at the Bitter End Yacht Club. I can't remember what year, though. That was, I would say, 12, 15 years ago in that range. Something like Some, that. Probably yeah, like, yeah, more yeah. like 12, probably. And it, was it just you and your family, or had you been bringing people down, uh, like sort of corporate groups? No, so... straight away? What, with, BVI, with the BVIs and specifically Bitter End, um, it, it was my wife and I that started our journey down there. Mm -hmm. um, we found the BVIs. We fell in love. Um, we, re it's a hard place to get to, right? So we're on the East coast of New Jersey. So it takes an entire day to even get down there. Yeah. Yeah. Travel wise. So weeds out the wimps. Well, you that's know. my, the you're point, not ready right? to exactly. commit to a day of travel. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> fair. But what we have observed was it's because it's hard to get down there. It's really a special spot because not a lot of people take that effort. Yeah. So we started sailing, um, down there and then we, we, uh, started bringing up our children uh, we started the family trips down there. Um, that one particular time, we actually were fortunate enough to spend a good four weeks down in BVIs just sailing around. And wow. we, we actually took the time up at Bitter End and we we uh, parked there for a good week. And that's when we had a rompous child that we, you helped with, by the way, <laughs> uh, right at the, at the sports, right? We didn't know exactly how to curb his energy because we weren't on the boat sailing so um, we took out all the little boats. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, from there, because we loved it so much, we continued to go down there year over year. And then we started to bring some of our leadership from um, from our company yeah. to show them that experience, to share with them the beauty of it and then also the love of sailing because we use a lot of uh, sailing analogies in our work effort. Like, in other words, as an example, if a project's going south, and we're getting really uh, frustrated and it's going fast, we would say, wow, we're on a spinnaker run, guys, and everyone hold on because we don't know what's about to happen here. So everyone knows that something's going to happen 
the analogy of hey, we could we can broach we something's gonna yeah we don't know we gotta but we're be all prepared able to, to react exactly any minute now yeah well and those those uh those sort of events because I remember we used to do quite a few of them where you know you've you've got a, a bunch of small boats and a huge group of people and one of the cool parts about a boat like that and and mixing in the little bit of ocean is that it's a leveling it, it, it levels the playing field on everybody so no matter who you've got you've got a ceo here you've right. got you know a janitor here let's say they're all doing the exact same thing and they're all going to be you know uh sort of playing on that same field it, it's always interesting to watch because we we even did a couple where i can't remember what branson had but richard branson's island was next to ours and essentially we went over and helped with a big race there and he had some huge big wigs there, right. obviously, but you wouldn't have known it as soon as you hop on these Hobie cats, you've got a bunch of kids having a blast, essentially. Well, that to your point of leveling the field, that yeah, the, the ego has to go to the side, mm-hmm. and it's the skill. It's the skill set that you might not have, and to some people that can <laughs> be harmful. Yeah, yeah. But others, it's humbling, and you learn a new skill, and, and it fires a different part of your brain. Which, which I loved watching. So non-sailors becoming sailors at an adult age, right? Because as kids, we could throw a kid on a boat. They don't care. They're not afraid. But adults tend to be a little yeah, afraid. Yeah, they overthink things. Yeah. And it's kind of like, oh. You're uncomfortable. I'm not comfortable being uncomfortable. What if I capsize? The kid's right. just like, can I go out and capsize? Yeah, that's exactly. Fun. That's the first thing they wanted. Yeah, right? yeah, right. It's, it's, that's funny. Yeah, it is. I I always enjoyed those. So yeah, I can. I definitely. When Janet showed me the uh, that picture over there, that that definitely brought it back. I was like, oh yeah, we did the drag races and all that yeah. sort of stuff. And yeah, I mean, and so, so our our friendship kind of just kept growing. But we we definitely stayed in touch through all these years, and now right back into it. Yeah, how are you feeling with jumping back in on the road? Uh it's it, you know it's good. I was really looking forward to. So, so this whole summer, I'm obviously trying to put this thing together and, you know, emails and calls and all this sort of stuff. And one of the challenges with at the level of speaking that I'm doing as far as, you know, how much how much uh, income you make off of it is that you really if you got to travel far distances, you have to make sure you're lining these things up so that you're not zigzagging and crisscrossing right. your path too much. I still have to a little bit, obviously, because I'm, I'm at the whims of a lot of these events and when they can schedule them. But, you know, I'm sitting there in the summer and I'm planning it out and I'd, I'd nail a couple things down, get the contract signed. And then I'm kind of it's neat because you kind of have to look at the old map of the U.S. and the highway system and you're like, OK, so if I set out from here and it's in some ways, it's almost like being on a boat trying to plan an ocean passage. And, um, you know, I still have a, a bit of nostalgia for staying in cheap motels, uh, from the Appalachian trail. Yeah. And I actually, in the beginning of this trip, when I was coming out, uh, to the East coast, I stayed in a a motel that I stayed in on the Appalachian trail when I was hiking (laughs) that I, I saw the sign for it and I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I know that one. And it's one of those, you know, the old timey ones where it's, off it's to all the one side. level, yeah, and it's just a long line, and you park right in front of your room and all right. that stuff. And you know, inside looked like it hadn't changed since nineteen eighties, but that's fine. I, you know, I don't need. I I still, <laughs> I remember on the AT there were still a few motels in some of these really tiny places that still had the old tube TVs. You know, they were color. 
but like they had the knob on them and stuff. <laughs> those are all gone. I've never, I haven't seen one of those in forever. It's all flat screens now. But the the overall ambiance of those motels are just. It's this classic thing that it just brings me. It's like right out back. of a movie. Yeah. Oh, totally. Absolutely. And I, I don't know. Sometimes I can stay in those. They're they're a little more few and far between now. You know, it's mostly Holiday and Express. Uh, and fair enough. All that, but you know, you take what you can get. But as far as the trip has gone, it's it's been great. We're sort of at the tail end, and and like we were talking about last night, one of the things right now. Uh, you know, you get you get towards the middle and towards the end of something like this. And I don't know, I think I've done like seven or eight talks already. And then I've got one more to go. But this was being being able to be here and with you guys and stuff has has definitely been like a high point of of Good. the whole thing. So I, I definitely thank you for that. It's uh, you got so it's nice. I, it's real I, nice. A question. Um, your first from your first talk to the talk last night, has it changed much? The story? Uh, you know, the, it, it always is a little different. Um, you know, having done, so we did one, two nights ago and then we did, or three nights ago and then last night. So that's, that's a pretty quick turnaround. Right. Um, so it was probably very similar. There were a lot of that, the uh, sort of same phrasing and stuff, but still there was, there was a little bit of a difference in, in how it was told and everything. If a week goes in between the two. Right. Um, usually there's, there's a lot of different points that I bring up and sometimes I'll change some of the slides around and add or take away. So right now when, when I count it up, there's about like 30 different clips or photos and, you know, I'm trying to be up there for an hour to an hour and 10 minutes. Right. And that doesn't leave you a lot of time in between to narrate. And I'm kind of watching my watch and, you know, thinking, okay, I'm, I'm getting close. I got to. Right. I got to skip this little part in between this one. But what I normally would do if I think it's going to be one of those nights where they're going to want to hear more from me is I'll just go and pull like three or four of those clips out of there. And I'll actually explain instead of showing what happened, I'll explain what happened. Right. And and that has the different feel. Uh, it definitely changes up the room and and how things go and stuff. I mean, sometimes it seems like. <clears throat> Sometimes it seems like the crowd is into it and everybody's having a jolly good time and everybody's laughing. And that's when I'll, I'll usually sort of yuck it up a little bit more. Right. I think I did that a bit last night yeah. because it was a, a little more intimate uh, um, space in there. And everybody, you know, everybody, I think I looked around, everybody had beers in their hands and stuff. <laughs> and that's always a good sign. I yeah. mean, you know, as long as it doesn't get out of control, I, I still remember one talk in the first round back in like 2018 or something like that. And there was an extremely intoxicated gentleman in the back of the room and he just wouldn't shut up. Uh, and, uh, it was, I think he, he actually got asked to leave eventually. Um, but he thought he was being sort of funny and it was like him and this girl and all this stuff. And it, it's hard to, it's hard to sort of concentrate when that's going on. Yeah. Because you have somebody in the back that is taking a, in their mind, they're, contributing but they're actually doing a disservice and they're taking away from what the story you're telling right, to everyone right, else listening yeah. to that too the, the and the flow of it sort of gets a little interrupted but uh yeah luckily i think the commodore of that place uh grabbed him i think by the collar and was like oh that's here. about yeah, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like whoa all right <laughs> we, we tend to do that and kind of not do it in front of some <laughs> other people yeah um, we yeah. don't want that happening but you know that leads to another question like i, I noticed last night 
um, and in your other talk that handling questions during the presentation versus waiting for the end, mm -hmm. because I know you were able to take some, yeah. but does that derail you sometimes? I, that's not nah, difficult. So, well, the, the one nice part is typically if somebody's going to ask a question, it's, it's about whatever, whatever clip I just showed or whatever I just said. So it's on the subject that I'm already talking about at that point. Right. And, and sometimes it actually gives me a little insight on, on, you know, for the next time it's like, Ooh, I'll, I'll want to hit that point. Cause that's the second time I've heard that question, uh, yeah. you know, during that slide or whatever. And I don't know, sometimes it's a reminder, you know, at the one gentleman last night asked, you know, where exactly what my position was at that point. And I had forgotten to say, you know, and that's a crucial thing being like, Hey, at this point I'm, 500 miles out to sea right and that that helps for i think the audience to sort of imagine like oh like he's way out there he's not 20 miles off this is like he's he's committed to this yeah and and so sometimes it can be pretty helpful but yeah it is like a it's a dangerous little fence you're walking because it can get derailed pretty quickly right. and but i i suppose if if it was a ton of questions were getting asked da, 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 i i could easily be like all right guys i'll tell you what We'll do a big Q&A after this. Let me just get through this because I know we don't want to go too far over the time limit. Because you do want to, it would be pretty easy uh, as a speaker, especially telling a story like this, to just blob on and on and then two hours goes I by. could so see you know, that. And people are just dying in their seats. They're like, well, oh, yeah, man. It's funny because the other thought I had, just the audience, um, if you have a group of sailors like we did last night, some of the questions became very technical, right? Yeah, and yeah. In preparatory, and they're in that sailor's mind. How, how do you handle like sailors and non-sailors in a group and kind of the balance of that type of audience? Well, and that's that's typically, if you notice, I, I don't really get too technical into, you know, I, I think the most technical stuff I talk about is the storm tactics that I'm trying to use, right. you know, during the beginning, heaving to, and then uh, once the thing starts really raging, I'm, I'm running before the gale. And no drogue, like that came up last night. Yeah, right. yeah. And that, that would have definitely only come up at a yacht club, right. you know, if I'm speaking somewhere else, like a library or, or anything like that. But it is interesting because when I do public events like that, at, at like libraries or schools and things like that, you get really odd, not odd questions, I shouldn't say that, but different questions about, you know, you always get like the what do you eat and how do you sleep? And right. some of those you would you wouldn't expect those from a group of sailors because they sort of know. Right. Um, which kind of mixes it up. It makes it a little bit interesting. Um, you know, I don't mind being asked, you know, how do you sleep? And if I put my anchor out, you right. know, in the middle of the ocean, I'm, I sort of I don't I don't think it's. I think it's a valid question, you know, right. I mean, for the idea of, of somebody letting a boat sail them through the middle of the ocean in the middle of the night uh, without stopping is like, it, it doesn't make sense to me, you know, to some people or right. to some people. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. But so, to me, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, I do it all the time. But then you have to take a step back and almost <clears throat> explain some of the safety. So where I could see where. As that example, like someone who hasn't been on an overnight trip, that it's normal to sail and go to sleep and have a your your um, uh, either radar your your AIS, oh, AIS yeah, yeah, AIS yeah. piece on that's going to wake you up if you have a ship coming down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah. 90. I, I always say that thing works about 98% of the time. Oh. There's been a few times where I've, I've gotten up and the first thing I typically do is I look at that little screen and there was one time I remember there were three boats around me. I had cut right through the middle of them and they were only two miles apart or something like that from, from my position. They were, it seemed like they were all going in a track and that alarm never went off and i was just like it's disconcerting smokes. yeah yeah <laughs> but you know it is one of those things where you sort of just kind of there's enough times and instances where the alarm goes off right. and the funny thing with it it's kind of annoying because you can if you it goes off and then you can you have to manually go into the system i have and turn the alarm off so that it's not going to go off anymore but the only problem with that is if you forget to put it back on, yeah. it's not going to go off. And it's one of those things, you know, you doubt yourself. Yeah. And you, you check hop it three in times. Bed, you're all yeah. comfortable <laughs> and you're like, did I turn that back on? And then you can't get to sleep until you get up and check. Yep. And then it's obviously already on and all that stuff. But I don't know. Yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah. But uh, not to like switch gears again, but J boat sailing. When did you get into that? Okay. That's like the big stuff. Yeah. So so the the sailing journey that I, I'm personally on, we're bringing up a lot of college kids. These kids that were racing down here in Scotts uh, on BBYRA, uh, they were in program at Seaside Park Yacht Club. Mm -hmm. And um, we wanted to provide them a venue and an experience outside of the little boat stuff. Yeah. So... Um, you know, of course, with my my one son, my youngest son, um, Ian, we said, "Hey, at I think he was like fifteen or sixteen, maybe 15 I'm like, "Let's. Do you want to experience the big boat stuff? Why don't we just try this and get some of your friends out, and we'll, I'll invest into it. We'll start racing." So we started racing up at Atlantic Highlands Yacht Club. Um, we didn't do well, but we didn't DFL either, and we did, we never got last place in the very beginning, which nice. like, wow, that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, and it's a very technical um, sailboat, um, if you will. So we're talking inches and centimeters on things. Versus, and this was the J one hundred nine, correct? So yeah. J one hundred nine. The boat's name is Aviato. So there's a a PHRF group up in Atlantic Highlands, but then there's also this one design class that is on the East Coast. So the one design has about 20 boats that race very competitively up and down the East Coast, mostly mm -hmm. up in Long Island Sound. Fast forward, um, we have a, a crew that is mostly college kids. They're all juniors now, uh, sophomores to juniors. And uh, they are incredible. Uh, to watch them become sponges and compete with some of the best on the East Coast, for me personally, watching that occur uh, and being part of that and they're becoming better racers than I am yeah. is just, it's tremendous. It's just it's so cool to watch. It, it not only changes their ability to race and sail, but you could see it in their, their day-to-day -day growth, their, their confidence level just in general. Yeah. Um, they're, that's they, something that, you know, not a lot of people have an opportunity to do and they, they have that, but yeah, we're, we're racing competitively and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a ton of fun. Yeah. Well, and so you get to be on the boat. Is there any time where, where they're just out there and it's just them on, yeah, on their own so team? Yeah, so it's funny. Um, this is one of those instances where, I, you know, because I own the boat and pay the bills, I get to steer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? But I'm not the best I'm not the best skipper either. There's right. ones that are better, probably better than me on the boat. Mm -hmm. um, there has been, actually, this past summer, 
Um, we had one regatta. Uh, we had a, a late night one night. Um, my wife and I did not make it up to the launch in time. Mm-hmm. And we were supposed to, we had a crew of, I think, eight on the boat uh, getting ready to go out. Uh, you know, not to have a story about having a late night, but yeah, right, right. at the end of the day, we only had uh, three of them made it out to the boat. That was it. And they raced without us. So it was only three of them, very shorthanded. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. you usually have seven or eight on the boat. Because well, you're you're flying the spinnaker, spinnaker yeah, and yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, and they took a second and a third, and they did fantastic. So these, and then you know, fast forward, we do give the boat out, and they race up at the IORs, the um, offshore regatta for the uh, universities, mm-hmm. and they're racing them themselves. Uh, there's a safety officer on board. You know, usually the owner of the boat. Um, but yeah, that was Martin, right? That was Dave Martin. Yeah, yeah correct. Yeah. He was a safety officer up there for, for that race. Um, but to be honest, you know, these guys take this boat. I would absolutely trust them in any regatta, in any condition. Uh, they're just becoming really good sailors. Well, they, they definitely had the conditions too. When I arrived there at Larchmont, I, it was just pouring rain. The fog was in. And they had a really dramatic wind shift at one point, 180 degrees, right. which caused actually the University of Michigan, their team, like crash jibed because the wind shift was so quick. Like they were reaching across the wind and then instantly the boat jibed. Oh. That's how big of a, a, a wind shift it was. And I think somebody got a little bit injured. Um, I mean, he's fine now, but nailed by the boom or something like that. But yeah, that'll wake you up. That's a cup of coffee right there. Yeah, oh, definitely. But it was blowing hard. And then the next day, it, w- it was kind of interesting because when I gave that keynote there, one of the points I was talking about is, you know, you just sometimes you have to you have to make it through the bad to get to the good. It makes the good a lot better. And so they these these kids were definitely loving that experience because even though they, they had all come in sopping wet, off of a windy day where, you know, if I had been out there all day, I'd be like, give me my bed. Right. I want a hot shower, you know, <laughs> a stiff drink, and I'm going to bed. Um, but to see them all just come in and they're excited, they're around the tables, everybody's yucking it up and having fun. And then, you know, the next day they went out, it was sunny and windy and, you know, they'd, they'd made it through the rainy, crummy day. And went straight to a nice, perfect regatta day. But so. even at, what I had heard is even that second day, it was blowing 22, 24. I don't think they got to use the spinnaker. They didn't. No, Correct. Huh? Yeah. yeah. That was just on the edge. And of course, our team was complaining the whole time because they wanted to fly the chute. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, <laughs> they wanted to practice. Go. But that's, I mean, that is one of those things where not only can it be a little bit dangerous if, if you know, you've got a team that hasn't, not right. not your team, obviously, but um, the other thing is equipment starts to break. Well, that's where, you know, we I'm cutting the checks for yeah, that. And yeah, then I true. didn't want the spinnaker to rip, right? Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. 5000 right there, and I don't want to have to pay that. So let's use the old chute and kind of, you know, that kind of conversation does occur a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll bet. I'll bet. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Well, it is. It's it's really cool to see sort of somebody that's so involved with all this, and also sort of not only sharing sort of their own experiences, their own knowledge, but physically sharing the equipment and the boats and all that, and making it available. Because one of the things that I always hear from people who who are outside of the sailing realm that would like to get into it is, you know, how how do you get into this without having to just go and buy a boat yourself? 
And I always tell them that, you know, the first step is just get down to a marina, get down to any place that has boats and right. just start chatting with people because right. most people are looking for crew to be able to just go out, whether it's a day sail or it's a race or even, you know, a little coastal passage or an offshore passage. I mean, I used to run into people all the time in the Caribbean that would fly down to Antigua for the end of the race week, the classic, because that was the end of the Caribbean season. And all these boats are going to the med to deliver. Yeah. And there were people that had never stepped foot on a boat that just heard that, oh, there was a chance they could get on a boat and they'd get down there. And some of them even get paid. They'd get paid like 75 bucks a day for a 30 day crossing. And you know, you're, you're jumping into the fire with that. Cause if you get out there and you don't like it, you know, tough, you're going to have to wait it out, <laughs> you know, but it does bring up a point. Like we, at our club, we're very, um, mindful of adults that have never learned to sail to give them opportunity. So we have adult sailing that come down. Don't worry about anything. Just bring your, your life jacket. Yeah. And yeah. we're going to give you a class. We're going to show you what it looks like. Then we're going to bring you out on a boat um, so local marinas and clubs, absolutely get, get them down there. And mm-hmm. then I like the idea of what you're saying, which a lot of people or non-sailors aren't aware of is that everyone's always looking for crew. Always. Yeah. I mean, Wednesday nights at your local club or Tuesday uh-huh. nights at your local club, we're happy to bring people on to share the experience. Very Corinthian sport. Well, and it is one of those things where you're always, we're always trying to grow the sport. We want right. more involvement. I mean, I, you know, I guess at the, at the super high end America's cup level. Yeah. Maybe, maybe thinking you're going to be able to just hop on one of those boats is a little bit of a yeah. pipe dream, but <laughs> yeah. still it is one of those things. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that would like to break into it. Um, but I don't know for whatever reason they're hesitant to just go down and start chatting because I think possibly people just feel like they need to gain some sort of knowledge so that they don't look like, a, you know, they don't know what they're doing. Right. But that's that's totally fine. That's that's like such a, a it's steeped in sailing history of, you know, the captain is teaching the mate and the mate is teaching the crew and the crew is teaching the swab and all that. I right. mean, there's this great apprenticeship uh, sort of system when it comes to boats. And I, I think that's always it's so cool. And it's it sort of supersedes any cultural changes because you're dealing with people's lives out there. Right. So, you know, in, in many other aspects of, of, you know, jobs or the world, you might be able to bicker over little things like this, that, and the other thing, but on a boat, you know, the captain, what the captain says is like law. If it hurts your feelings, tough luck. You know, you're really, I don't know. There's something about that hierarchy that I've always thought was really, really cool. And if, as long as you're willing to work hard and prove yourself, you can just keep climbing that ladder until you're the person doing it. You know, we, we as we were watching these kids on the J109, we started to bring in some new players. Um, and the new players, they, to your point, you know, they felt they knew exactly where they were in the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So they knew they, hey, I'm just doing this job and that's all I'm doing. But I want to have the opportunity to grow and become, let's say, the main trimmer or whatever else. But those responsibilities, um, I think you're right. I I didn't even consider that. But everyone that jumps onto a boat for the first time, there is a bit of a hierarchy there. Oh, definitely. Well, and it it goes, I mean, it's funny as it seems that that movie, um, Captain Ron. Yeah. Kurt Russell. (laughs) Like, there's that part where he just gets on the boat, they're down in the engine room, and the, the little kid in it, 
uh, or they're, they're talking about who has to change the oil and, and, um, you know, the, I think Martin Short's like, Oh Ben, that's a good job for you. And he's like, no, no, no boss. You know, that it's too important. Swab, you take out the trash. And he's like, Oh man. And he's like, well, come here, Swab, you know, <laughs> way it works on a ship. <laughs> you get a job. If you don't, or something, if you don't like the job, you do your job well, get a better job. All right. Maybe make it from swab to mate. Now get out of here. And he's like, all right. And he just goes and does that. It's sort of like, yeah, you know, that is the thing. You got to, you got to learn, you got to pay your dues and then boom, you, that's how you grow. And that's how you get it. And it's just so obvious and systemized on boats and on ships and all that. I've always loved that. I always thought it was so cool. So two, two comments to that one, um, we use the term FNG, right? FNG, the F new guy. Yeah, yeah. If you're yeah. the FNG, you're the one that has to pack the spinnaker. You're the one that has to do all of the grunt work until you prove yourself. Yeah. And then you kind of get out of that role. I'll never forget, um, I, I traveled down um, down under Australia and um, I was uh, for work, but I called up a local yacht club and I got to jump on a 50-footer uh, for a race, uh, just a, like a Wednesday night uh, kick the can race. Is this in like Sydney? It was in Sydney, in okay, Sydney nice. Harbor. Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm here. Hey, I'm an American. I'm a, I, I sail. I race. And I kind of came in with that. And <laughs> They're probably like, oh, here comes another uh, yank. No. The, what happened was they the guy looked at me, handed me the, you know, buckets of ice. He's like, here, take these, bring it to the boat. I bring it to the boat. One of the uh, crew on the boat sees me. And he and I didn't take the ice and I didn't break it to put it into the to the uh, ice bucket, you know, the mm-hmm. ice thing. And he goes, look, fucking the and yank doesn't even know that he needs to break up the ice. And so he says <laughs> it in front of everybody to kind of put me in. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. Put me into my place. And right. then I knew I'm like, OK. And I was just very humble. Yeah. Did what I was supposed to do. Put my head down. And then, then they all started laughing and they were like, yeah, but that. It was true. Like I came in a little bit hot and they were like, no, 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 you, this is uh, our boat. You're down yeah, under. Let's just, let's throttle back there. Do buddy. your thing, buddy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that, that was an experience that I learned pretty quick. Yeah. Well, and, and to your point too, I, I've always, always tried to remember that, you know, actions speak louder than words. Right. And, you know, unless you've got really, you know, incredible charm and wit, Sometimes it's just better to just shut up and yeah. just do whatever do the job. you got to do. And, you know, I I know plenty of guys that definitely can talk their way in into all sorts of stuff. But in the end, you know, they're they're trying to fake it till they make it. But if you if you're if you're willing to just do the work and put in the time and, and focus on it and do it well, take pride in what you're doing. I always thought that's the more genuine way to to go about it. But. The humble part too, I think, is doing the job, getting it done to your point, and showing it through action, mm-hmm. and then you're humble about it. And I think that those are the ones that rise faster. On my observation, I, I think in the long run for sure, because you know a lot of times the the people that you know are, are talking a big game, right. they might they might slide into a position, you know, squeaky wheel gets the grease, all that sort of stuff, but. In the end, typically they their their true colors sort of come out at some point, and then it's sort of like ah, we screwed up. All right, you you're out. Yep. Hey, you down there, the one that's been working all all the time, Here's just doing shot. their job. Here here you go. And then that person's typically better prepared anyway, because right. that's all they've been doing. They haven't been sitting there squawking. They're actually paying attention and soaking it in. Right. You know what I mean? And I it's 
it's something that I saw and watched on many boats, on many deliveries, but then had a lot of experience with when I was managing those sailing schools. Because you'd have a team of like 10, 15 people. And a lot of times each year it's, you know, you get an influx of new people. And so you're watching these, these you know, 20-somethings try and figure out their place in the hierarchy. Right. And yeah, I don't know. It was kind of an interesting thing to... To sort of uh, just be able to witness, but then also have to come up with my game plan of like how I'm going to best allocate these people and deal with them and and all that sort of stuff. So that's a, so. Did you just a question on that on leadership style? Did you let that self organize, and then you saw leadership rise and fall? I'm, uh, I'm just curious on that. I you know I it, it's it was kind of strange because in that I was fortunate that that was a job that that to be put into the position of a director of a sailing school um, and a water sports center, I I sort of was put into that position very early on. But as soon as I had it, like I had people come up to me and they were like, dude, the the day you came in here when you were in charge, like you had a different look on your face, everything. And it just suited me really well. Yeah. I loved it. I I felt like I, in the back of my head, I'm like, Oh, I get to be like David Hasselhoff. (laughs) This is great, you know. You get that young bravado yeah, and all that of sort of stuff. Um, but to your question, I mean, I I was so passionate about it that I really I wanted to be involved in every aspect. And I, you know, I I always thought it was really good, which I think is a bit of a mistake now. But I used to think like, okay, I'm the person in charge. I got to be the first one here and the last one to leave all the time. One problem with that is I think eventually you start to burn out because um, it's kind of unsustainable to just always be the one who's doing, you know, 60, 80 hours um, as the person in charge. So you, not only have you got all the stress and the pressure on you, but you're also putting this huge workload on yourself to, to have as an example, I guess. That's how I did it in the early days. Right. But I also really enjoyed what I was doing. I mean, I'd be a bitter end. We'd put in, you know, eight, ten hours during the day, and then I'd go and fix sails mm-hmm. up in the sail loft. And you'd see me carrying sails down at 10, 11 o'clock at night. And it was a great example to have, for sure. But it was also kind of an example. I wouldn't expect anybody to try and live up to that. Right. Um, if they tried, I'd probably, after enough time, be like, nice job. I really appreciate it, but you got to stop doing this because you're going to burn out. Right. And that's something I've learned, you know, kind of over the years. Um, but I, I was always involved. I, I would sort of pick my, the people that I saw that I thought really had the potential to kind of keep moving up in the organizations. I would, I would definitely pull them aside and, and really vocally sit down and chat with them about, you know, what I think they're doing well, what I think they need to work on, um, you know, reasons. A lot of it was just saying, like, you know, why I think, you know, you have the potential. I'd let people know what I think they have the potential to do if they were going to go. If somebody, you know, was talking a big game, but they were making a lot of mistakes, I'd definitely let them know as well. I, I think really it always would come down to communication mm-hmm. as far as trying to trying to mold people and let people go where they need to go. Um, that, that was sort of the style that I adopted further on down the line as I got older and more experienced with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to the original question is I, I would get in there and I wouldn't, I, I had let a few teams sort of do their own thing and, 
in some ways that works out okay, but I found that if I'm in there and I'm more involved and I'm sort of pushing the pieces where they need to go, right. it, it it seems to form up a little bit better. Sometimes it blows up in your face. I'm not going to not admit that, but it seems to to go a little bit better when I'm when I'm doing the pushing, I guess. Yeah. Or you could do it subtly too, like we've learned if you give enough um runway for people to kind of make mistakes and then then you give them a little feedback mm-hmm. you sometimes learn quicker and faster that way well you definitely had given people slack yeah. enough slack to what's that i mean enough that, rope to hang yourself yeah right? yeah i mean you don't i obviously i don't want that to happen because in it's it's a little bit of a tricky situation because you know you're dealing with a group of people that are if they make those mistakes they're making those mistakes with guests and so those yeah. guests aren't yeah. having a good time right. yeah. and there's that pressure of like, oh, you know, and, and it can be just, for example, you know, you train your people on how to how to very quickly and efficiently write a Hobie cat, you know, on a windy day because the, the guests go out, they tip over, we go out in a rescue boat, they got to get it back up and and get the people back on board so that they feel like we're professional, right. they're safe, right? you know, and if if they screw it up and it takes them 15 minutes and the people are sitting there waiting in the water and these guys can't get the Hobie cat righted, um, that's not a good situation. It doesn't look good at all. No, and they're not happy. <laughs> and they, you know, that might be a situation where it knocks that instructor down a couple of pegs yeah, and right. that's a really necessary thing sometimes. I mean, I needed it plenty of times in my own, you know, professional career doing it and it's a good thing, but the only problem with it is that might be good for the staff, but it's not good for the guests. Yeah. So gotcha. I don't know. It's, it's a tricky little fence you have to walk. Yeah. 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 It's a lot of fun though. I, man, I, I was so fortunate, I think to have been able to experience that both in the States and then down in the Caribbean for as long as I did it, which was, you know, longer than I think most people would, but man, I had fun. I think, you know, you brought, um, so much well down my experience with you was really down in bitter end most um, we looked forward to coming down you always had that good energy mm. which which uh, the enthusiasm rolled into the instructors which then rolled into the guests which then rolled into everyone having a big smile coming off yeah which then rolled into other guests wanting to go have that experience right right so right. It, it was it definitely uh, went throughout the whole the whole vibe was really good down there I remember that I, and I'm I'm very interested to see what uh, what it'll be like down there. I don't know if I'll I know I'll be able to get down there this winter to bitter end, but I mean I've seen the pictures. I see you know, and I know some of the people that are still working there um, that I had brought down initially right. way back 10, 15 years ago. Now, um, yeah, I mean I the thought of getting back on that beach and taking a Hobie getaway right off of it and right. go ripping around. Oh. Right. I know. And, and you know, that's the big question. Do you think the vibe has changed down there? I, I don't know. Um, I can't imagine that it has. I don't think so. It's bitter end. Yeah, I mean, I it's know. a different, different place, obviously, than it used to be. It's not as big and boisterous right now. But I think in a lot of ways, they've probably been able to fine tune it. And uh, I do know that they have one of the biggest, nicest beaches now. Or they they definitely must have the nicest beach in North Sound. Oh, it has to be. Yeah. It's huge. Right. It's like 10 times bigger than it used to be. 
because they've kept everything to one side. And now it's just this. I mean, when I see drone shots of it, I'm like, oh, that's what I always want. Because remember that that water sports center was was in that hemmed in little spot, a dock here and then a dock there. And we had 90 boats all piled up like, holy smokes. And now they've just got acres. Yeah. So, so now, now I'm yearning to go down. I know, I know. It's, yeah, and it, it's it's almost a bad thing when I start to talk to people because, especially going around doing these these presentations, there's always people like last night when you said, you know, how many people have been down to the BVI? And right. All these people raise their hand. And it's kind of like, ah. Oh. I mean, there were people that that knew me from when I was down there, and uh, yeah, you get talking about bitter end, and it is. It's you start the next stage is go and start looking at flights. All right. Well, I, I think my wife is already doing that right now as <laughs> yeah, we speak. Right. Well, and now they, they do fly direct from Miami to oh, Tortola. Wow. Okay. So they've cut out the old hop from San Juan. So it goes right into Beef Island? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I used to always do, uh, and it was a gamble, but it was Air Sunshine yeah. from Puerto Rico straight to Virgin Gorda. Ah, the only problem is they all if if the sun set, even if you were in route, the sun sets, they reroute you right to Tortola. Oh. Yeah, because they can't they have to close that airport. And and it seemed like there were times where the sun hadn't quite set, but we got rerouted because <laughs> maybe somebody wanted to go home. Yeah, you early. think? Uh, yeah, down in, in those islands. But the customs uh on Virgin Gorda was always very, very quick, very efficient. Um, you know, maybe it was cause I knew most of everybody there. Right. Uh, but man, that was always the best. You hop on that air sunshine flight and you were there in 30 minutes right on VG taxi ride or hitch a ride up and boom, you're right there. Cause you get to be filing and you know, they're still trying to figure out ferry services to get right to North sound. I believe. Right. I don't think they have, um, a dedicated ferry for it. Wow. I thought they well, we when they we used would, to, yeah. yeah. The North Sound Express, Bitter End right. ran that company, yeah. um, and you know now I think to get there you probably have to go to Spanish Town and then oh wow take a cab up. I'm not 100 yeah. percent sure. Okay. I mean that that's something they they will figure out because I know Bitter End will always want to be able to get there as soon as they have more. I think they have two rooms right now, two or three. But the game plan over the next bunch of years is to get up to like 20. Right. And, um, you know, when that happens, it's they've got to have a, a nice ferry system. Yeah, you have to have the infrastructure there, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah, when we were, um, we would always do the Cape Air to Tortola from from uh, Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great, great flight. Oh, my God, yeah. Sometimes those pilots get uh, a little wild up there, too. They'll be, you know, ducking around the squalls, and sometimes they'll fly really low, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I maybe I won't name the pilot but yeah they, yeah I will, say, <laughs> I will say that uh the the person the pilot uh that was flying actually gave me the controls and, and no me, way yeah, really wow yeah. wow and my wife was on board and we had another passenger um who wasn't so happy uh yeah <laughs> I was able to, to grab them uh, but, I could imagine. but i think the statute of limitations have, have run past seven oh, or eight for years sure, for sure <laughs> <laughs> well and then, you know for a little while they had that uh seaplane 
that was coming and landing in North Sound. Yeah, we had a friend um, uh, take that actually with his family. It and was land. It was nice, and it was fast. I mean, that that was probably the one airplane ride that you were like, "Man, I I don't want this one to end. This is fun." But yeah. from from uh, we took it. Where did we leave from? I think we left from the runway on Beef Island because we they were just trying to. Make it so that we would try and sell tickets on it, sort oh, of thing, okay. like so, mention it to guests sure, and all that. Right. But you could go from for for guests that were leaving Bitter End, they could take the ferry down to Beef Island, or they could hop on that seaplane and be there. And you know, they do a little, of course, know, wrap around yeah. DG, <laughs> you know, for for the sightseeing thing. But Maybe then see they right for down. a second. And then yeah, and then... exactly, exactly. So yeah. I don't know. It was pretty cool. All right. Well, hey, you know what? We're we're already just about in an hour. It goes wow. by fast, doesn't Holy it? Holy mackerel! So yeah, crazy. I, I will say this: now that we're talking about it, I am going to take a look at flights in a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I know, hard. right? It's I got to figure out. I you know get that boat launched, sail down there. It's such a, a fun feeling to see. Usually, you see Anagata come yeah. up first, but. Um, Usually it's on, on Sparrow. It's it's after 12, 14 days. Right. That first trip that my dad and I took, uh, the inaugural sail of Mighty Sparrow, we lost the engine two days into it. Oh, boy. We sucked water in through the exhaust because the siphon lock didn't work. But, well, I didn't know how to fix it back then. Right. So we were engineless uh, sailing down. It took us 14 days. And luckily I had installed a solar panel. But uh, I remember asking my old man, we were, we were kind of looking at it because, you know, we were just past the Bahamas. We had headed out from Jupiter, Florida. And this was when I really knew my dad was like I was my dad's son. And I was we were looking at it and I'm like, well, I mean, I guess we could try and figure out a place to pull in. And he looked at me and I looked at him. And we were like, but, you know, it's a sailboat. We just keep sailing. <laughs> yeah. And we're just headed hundreds of miles offshore. No engine, no problem. And I, I do remember that. I'll never forget that. Just being like, oh, yeah, the old man's got it. Yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. Well, John, thank you so much for obviously everything, but sitting down on the show. Yeah. Fantastic. Put out, I'm sure it's will be wonderful p- people to listen to and everything. And, uh, yeah, this will be like episode 200 and I don't know. Wow. It's crazy, yeah. What I never would have thought it would have gone this long. This was sort of a trying to come up with new things to do during the pandemic and everything. Right. And this one stuck. So Pardon. it's been enjoyable. I Hey, listen, it's great seeing you, uh, and we wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much. All, All right. right. Thanks.